Well, I wonder how your Mother's Day has been uh, so far today. Um, how many of you actually did get breakfast in bed? Mum, put your hand up. Do you actually like it? No, it's not me. <laughs> I think breakfast in bed, and Annie, I agree with you, is more than um, not really what it's cracked up to be. I'm not really a fan of it with the crumbs in between the sheets and stuff. But, so I didn't get it and I didn't want it, but I had a lovely Mother's Day with my, my girls. Um, I hope your Mother's Day isn't as bad as this one. It happened around midday on Mother's Day. According to a national news report, 27-year-old Michael Murray decided to take his two children to the medical centre in Massachusetts where their mother was on duty as a surgical nurse. The family wanted to drop off some Mother's Day presents, a gold necklace with the words number one mum and a single rose. With their mission accomplished, the father and his two children made their way back to the darkened indoor garage where the car had been parked. Murray gently set the car capsule and three-month-old Matthew on the sunroof of the car and turned his attention to buckling Matthew's 20-month-old sister into her seat. Without thinking further, Murray slid into the driver's seat and drove off. Moving slowly from the darkened garage into the bright sunlight, Murray drove through busy streets towards the interstate freeway. Despite heavy traffic, nobody beeped or waved to warn him that anything was wrong. Pulling onto the freeway that cuts through the city, the driver accelerated to 80 kilometres per hour and then he heard it, a scraping on the roof of his car as the tiny seat with Matthew strapped in began to slide. Murray said, I looked to where Matthew should have been in, his, in the car and then in the rear view mirror I saw him sliding down the freeway in his capsule. The car seat had flown off the roof and hit the road and was sliding down the middle of the freeway almost as fast as the cars were coming toward it. An antique dealer named James Boothby was following the Murray car when he saw the whole event unfold. He saw young Matthew sail off the roof and hit the road. He said, I saw something in the air. First I thought someone had thrown some garbage out the window. Then I saw it and I thought it was a doll. Then the doll opened its mouth and I realised this was a little baby. It just landed on the road. It bounced a couple of times and never tipped over. It just landed and slid along a bit. I slammed on my car brakes and turned my car around in the lane so that no other cars could go by. I jumped from the car and I ran and found an uninjured baby in an undamaged car seat and scooped him up in my arms and took him back and gave him to his petrified father. <laughs> um, and they say pregnant mums are guilty of memory loss. Um, it's one thing to forget an appointment or to forget uh, where you've put something, but um, your baby on the roof of your car. I think this is a case of post-pregnancy causing memory loss to the father's brain, don't you think? Um, seriously though, we are all guilty of forgetting things at times, aren't we? Some of us more than others. Now, I don't know what that little baby was capable of thinking or feeling at that moment, but um, there's another certainty, and that is that all of us, um, there is a sense in which at times we can all feel forgotten. Um, there are times when we might feel forgotten by a spouse working long hours, by a partner who might have left for someone else, by a parent who was never around or showed favouritism to another sibling, by a child who doesn't seem to appreciate anything that you might do, by a friend who might have disappointed you, by, as a 
single person or a widow or an older person in your loneliness and isolation. Or even by God who, doesn't, who seems so distant and who doesn't seem to answer or to change your particular situation. You know, perhaps today especially you're feeling uh, the pain of, feeling, of being forgotten as a mother by, by estranged children or maybe even forgotten by your own mother. We don't need someone to tell us, do we, that that's kind of not a crash hot kind of feeling. It's, it's pretty painful. And um, we'd love to be able to click our fingers and have that, that feeling of forgottenness, of being overlooked, of being neglected, just disappear. But it's not as easy as that. And yet, even in the midst of these experiences, we can know for sure that we are not forgotten. Let me read to you something. When God Created Mothers by Irma Bombeck. When the Lord was creating mothers, he was into the sixth day of overtime when the angel appeared and said, you're doing a lot of fiddling around with this one. And the Lord said, have you read the specs on this order? She has to be completely washable but not plastic, have 180 movable parts, all replaceable, run on black coffee and leftovers, have a big lap that disappears when she stands up, a kiss that can cure anything from a broken leg to a disappointing relationship and six pairs of hands. The angel shook his head slowly and said, six pairs of hands? No way. It's not the hands that are causing me a problem, said the Lord. It's the three pairs of eyes that mothers have to have. That's on the standard model, asked the angel. The Lord nodded, one pair that sees through closed doors when she asks, what are you kids doing in there when she knows already? Another here in the back of the head that sees what she shouldn't but what she has to know. And of course the ones here in the front that can look at a child when he fails and say, I understand and I love you without so much as uttering a word. Lord, said the angel, touching his sleeve gently, tomorrow, come to bed. I can't, said the Lord. I am so close to creating something so close to myself. Already I have one who heals herself when she's sick, can feed a family of six on half a pound of mints, can get a nine-year-old to stand under a shower. The angel circled the model of the mother very slowly. It's too soft, he sighed. But tough, said the Lord excitedly. You cannot imagine what this mother can do or endure. Can it think? Not only think, it can reason and compromise, said the creator. Finally, the angel bent over and ran his finger across the cheek. There's a leak, he pronounced. I told you we're trying to put too much into this model. It's not a leak, said the Lord. It's a tear. A tear? What's it for? It's for joy and sadness, disappointment and pain, loneliness, pride. You're a genius, said the angel. The Lord looked sombre. I didn't put the tear there. What a tribute to mothers, hey? Um, it, uh, when God created the, the institution of motherhood, he intended mothers to, to be there, to love, to understand. Um, a portrait like that of a mother can stir up a lot of fond memories for us, can't it? Um, you might be able to recall similar uh, experiences or maybe you only feel the pain of your own relationship with your mum. You know, there isn't a mother in the world, is there, who is able to always be there, to love, to understand the way that we think 
that they should. Um, mums are human. Uh, God didn't intend them to be omnipotent or omnipresent. He didn't intend anyone else to be either, did he? We know that, don't we? we we've all experienced the infallibility of those closest to us. Um, there will never be anyone who uh, will be infallible in their availability towards us, in their love expressed to us, in their understanding, in their attention to us. There will always be people who will disappoint, um, who will forget or abandon or neglect us in some way uh, when we need them. That's life. You know, listen um, to these well-known verses from the Bible written by the prophet Isaiah. And... Uh, this is what he says. They, the people of Israel, they've been removed from their homeland. The temple has been destroyed. They're in exile in Babylon. And this is what it says. But Zion said, this is in Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 16. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. This is Israel speaking. And then Isaiah expresses the heart of God and he says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born, to which we would all emphatically say, no, um, though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You know, it seems incomprehensible, doesn't it, that a mother could ever forget the baby at her breast. Um, and yet what this verse is saying, that um, even in such an unlikely situation that a mother could forget their own child. It's impossible that God could forget us. God always remembers us. We are always remembered with love. We are not forgotten by him, even though we might feel like that. You know the word for engraved in that verse? It's actually the translation of the literal word for tattooed. Now, I don't know so much about tattooing, but I know if, if anyone is going to get themselves tattooed with anything, it's not something that they want to forget, is it? It's something that is significant for them. Um, for those of us who still write things on the back of our hands, I'm guilty of this, trying not to as a, an example for my children who have just started to do it. But I, I write things that I want to remind Jonathan about or a phone number or something I want, don't want to forget down the street. Um, you know, God has engraved us on the palms of his hands and he doesn't forget us. We're always remembered with love. How can we be so sure you know, uh, while Jesus was on the cross in the moments of such incredible pain, a pain that was so much more than just the physical pain of the cross, which was, which was so much as it was, but the, the anguish of having his father turn his back on him, the anguish of having his father turn his face away because he had made him who knew no sin to become sin for us and he was pouring out his wrath on the sin of the world and couldn't look at his son. Jesus was experiencing that. And yet in the midst of that, in the moments just before he died, Jesus was overheard to say to those, to some standing close by to him, to his mother who was standing by the cross next to John, one of his closest friends, and he said, Dear woman, here is your son, referring to John. And to his friend John, he said, Here is your mother. What was he doing there? From the moment of Jesus' death on, John accepted Mary as his own mother and it took her into his home. Why is this significant? 
You know, at the moment of his greatest pain, when humanly speaking, um, he would have every reason to think only, fallen humanly speaking, he would have every reason to think only of himself, of his own needs, to forget those of everyone else. And yet he didn't. He was thinking of his own mother, giving her a son to replace the one she was about to lose. He was thinking of his friend, giving him a mother. What do we typically do? You know, when we are experiencing a, a painful and difficult time, this is what we do, don't we? We tend to justify our self-pity. We, we excuse our lack of consideration for others. We reason that right at this moment, I need someone to minister to me. And yet Jesus didn't use any of these excuses. Instead, he remembered others. He remembered those who were crucifying him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He remembered the thief on the cross who was being crucified next to him and who had asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. He said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. He remembered his own mother and made sure she had a son to replace the one she was about to lose. And he remembers you. Firstly, he remembers you even when you think you're not worth remembering. I don't know how many of you have ever been asked to share your most embarrassing moment. You often do it as a kind of icebreaker in a new small group or something. You sit around and you share your most embarrassing moments. And some people really get into that and um, love um, having a bit of a laugh at each other. I don't know, I, I've been asked that. I always struggle to remember my most embarrassing moment. I think it's because my brain sort of conveniently shuts down to avoid future embarrassment. So I, I struggle to remember anything. I'm sure I have had them. Um, but you know what? When was the last time that you sat down in a kind of small group setting and had a bit of a laugh about each other's most shameful moments? We don't do that, do we? We don't go there. That's the kind of stuff we want to forget. Um, you know, there are, are things, there are regrets, there are actions, there are spoken words um, that lie lurking in our memories that... Uh, maybe come flashing back occasionally and make us cringe or feel guilty again. Um, the things that we would rather forget, things that we wish God might forget. And sometimes we can find it hard to think of ourselves as being people who are worth remembering by God or having him give a thought to us because of our sin. You know, a couple of months ago, uh, we were down in Melbourne and we were due at a first birthday party and as is typical when we're in Melbourne, we're racing from one function to the next and we're not wanting to leave this function because we haven't seen these people for ages so we kind of hang there a little bit longer and then we're late to the next thing that we're going to um, and we ended up rocking up to this first birthday party an hour late. Um, now we didn't think this was absolutely drastic because um, these were pretty close friends of ours and um, we thought that they might understand and plus this was our last stop before heading back to Wodonga and we were going to make it up to them by staying a bit later and just be later home here. Um, the only problem was that our two girls were two of the five children who'd been invited to this party and they were waiting for us to turn up so that they could begin the games for the kids um, so that one other little boy could head off to another birthday party that he was uh, due at right at the moment when we arrived. Now, this uh, didn't go down uh, too well. 
after all of my best attempts at apologising profusely, I think I made it around to every person at that party explaining our situation and talking about my story and um, it didn't do much good, especially with the parents of this little one-year-old. The relationship had been disrupted. Uh, no apology, even of the deepest sincerity, was going to make any difference. This was not going to be forgotten. Do you know, this is not so with God. When we are genuinely sorry for our sin, when we're sorry not just for the consequences that we have experienced and the pain as a result of the sin in our own life, but when we have an um, attitude of repentance and of, of grief because we have grieved the God who made us and designed us to live differently, when we have repented from our sin, when we've turned from it and turned to God, you know what he says in Isaiah 43 verse 25 he says he will remember your sins no more no more it's not a statement of his forgetfulness God hasn't got a, a, a bad memory so that he doesn't remember it it's a statement of his choice to forget that which we have repented of he remembers us even when we think we're not worth remembering that is so encouraging isn't it he forgets our sin, but he remembers us. It's fabulous. He remembers the good stuff and not the bad. We have his fully devoted attention all of the time. Now let me apply this to us in a couple of ways. You know, don't you allow the enemy to drag up past confessed sin of yours to make you feel guilty again. Don't you let your mind or your heart dwell on that and feel guilty about that all over again, when you have dealt with that, when Jesus' death on the cross for you says, paid in full, the punishment has been paid. You don't have to feel guilty about that again. And yet the enemy loves to make us feel guilty, to bring up those past regrets and to rue them again and doesn't want us to experience the freedom from guilt and sin. He wants us to remain living in regret and guilt. Because you know what? That means he's victorious. And secondly, you know what? We would do well to learn from this ourselves in our relationships with other people. That we, there would be a sense of us choosing to forget those little things. Not keep a record of the wrongs done to us. They're often so little that we allow to disrupt our relationships. And we allow them to fuel the grudges that we love to hold on to towards other people. Let's be forgetful when it comes to that. You know what 1 Corinthians 13.5 says? It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. God keeps no record of wrongs. Godly people keep no record of wrongs. <coughs> Secondly, God remembers you even when you feel forgotten. You know, earlier in the, the book of Isaiah, I, um, he envisages the message of the coming disaster, of the exile, that the... Um, people of Israel were going to experience it. They were going to be captured by Nebuchadnezzar, taken into Babylon, and he saw it as something that was going to uh, take hold of his people. And he addresses the despondency that was going to set in in advance. This is what he says in Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by my God? 
You know that word for disregarded there has the con- sense of a continuous experience. My situation keeps on being dismissed or overlooked or forgotten. I wonder if you can identify with that despondent heart which uh, cries out, how can you do this to me? How can you keep on doing this to me? I'm sure the parents of little Sophie Delizio are asking that question right now. How can you keep on doing this to me? Are, are we forgotten? He goes on to say that, Isaiah goes on to say that God is not too great to remember you or your situation. He's in fact too great to fail to do so. Do you remember the story of David and Mephibosheth back in 2 Samuel chapter 9? All right, David has secured his position on the throne of uh, Judah and Israel. He's uh, seen his enemies defeated and uh, his empire established. And then after all that he had suffered at the hands of Saul, um, he chooses, uh, instead of to conveniently forget the uh, promise that he had made to Jonathan. Jonathan was one of Saul's sons and one of David's best friends. uh, And they had made a covenant agreement uh, between the two of them that David would continue to show the unfailing kindness of God to Jonathan and his family, his descendants, for as long as he lived. Um, but this was many years ago that had, uh, many years had passed since this covenant had been made. And David, instead of choosing to forget this in the light of what had happened, he chooses to remember and to fulfil his obligation to Jonathan. Um, let's have a, a read of this from verse 1. It says, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David remembered how much he had owed to Jonathan. Um, Jonathan had given him gracious help um, when he was driven from Saul's table, from Saul's company. Um, From verse 2. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Um, we can read back in 2 Samuel chapter 4 about uh, the incident that happened when Mephibosheth was five years of age and he um, was fleeing with his nurse um, and he was crippled in a fall that the nurse had and he was, he was crippled in both feet. In verse 4, where is he, the king uh, um, asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. Now this was risky stuff for David, wasn't it? Because to restore property to a member of his predecessor's family uh, and to ensure access to uh, those who were directing the state of affairs around there was putting him in the position where he could potentially be in the know and in a sense he was running the risk of encouraging 
thoughts of usurping the throne. And yet in verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? It reflects probably what we would regard today as a very poor self-concept, a very low sense of worth, probably brought on by his disability. This is a man who would have been, uh, would have experienced a very real sense of the forgottenness of his circumstances. And then in verse 9, Then the king summoned Zeba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants had to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. David was able to show kindness, God's kindness, by remembering Mephibosheth in the forgottenness of his situation. God remembered him even when he felt forgotten. God remembers us even when we feel that we're not worth remembering. He remembers us even when we feel forgotten. You know, I wonder whether you are feeling forgotten in your circumstances at the moment. You know, he's not too great to remember you. He's too great to fail to do so. <coughs> feeling forgotten in your months or, or, say, or years of seemingly unanswered prayer. He's not too great to remember you. He's too great to fail to do so. You're feeling forgotten in a long-term illness, uh, in a loss of job, in loneliness, in an area of ministry where you don't feel appreciated, in, with some particular pain that no one else seems to understand and which doesn't disappear. He's not too great to remember you. He is too great to fail to do so. He proved it by remembering Mary. He proved it by remembering the thief on the cross in the midst of his greatest pain. And he remembers you and I in our forgottenness. Now let's consider those who don't know this. You know, there are young people out there who are mutilating themselves in the pain of being forgotten by others. There are older people who are shut in and lonely and isolated and who are feeling forgotten. There are the Yao people of Malawi who have been forgotten by the world and we are the means by which they can know that God has not forgotten them. They don't know it. But we can help them to know that they are not forgotten, that God remembers them. And finally, God remembers you so that you will remember others. You know, Jesus' death on the cross, it was so much more than an example of what it means to love, wasn't it? It was the only means by which our relationship with God could be restored. Um, and as such, it wasn't something that anyone else could ever do have done. It wasn't something that could ever be repeated. And yet the love of God expressed so powerfully on the cross does portray so vividly what it means to remember others even when it hurts. You know, I, I think this is a means by which we can measure how we're going in our own Christ-likeness, isn't it? 
I wonder how we're going in that. In the midst of your most painful moments, who is it that you're remembering and thinking of first? Do we love others to the same extent when we're hurting and our own needs are not being fulfilled? Do we allow how we feel to dictate our behaviour? Now, I'll let you in on one of my struggles with this. In some of my sinful moments when... um, I'm in pain, I'm not feeling like my own needs are being met. Um, Sometimes I just want to forget everything, I want to withdraw, I want to sleep. That's that's what I kind of do. I kind of just want to shut down, I want to ignore everything that's happening all around me and uh, I don't reach out. I close up, I withdraw love, I don't want to talk about it at times thinking only of me, not remembering others. I don't um, often or sometimes I I don't love to the same extent when things are not going well for me as what I do when things are going well. What about you? How are you going in that area? You know, at this point we want to stop and we want to recognise you mothers amongst us, you mothers in our midst. You know, I'm barely one of you in terms of hanging in there for the long haul and proving myself over time. Um, you know, we want to celebrate the fact that you are God's gift to us. We thank God for you. You know what? You love like the way we've been talking about. You love like Jesus. When it's painful, you love. You love when it's impossible even for another mother to love at times. You, know, you reveal the heart and the character of God to us. As you love. You know what it says in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13? It says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. You reveal the heart of God as you love, you mums. You remember others before yourself. You think of others as more important than you. You show God's love to the world as you do so. Now, there was another mother who loved like Jesus. It was said of her right at the outset of her motherhood that a sword would pierce her own soul. Her years of mothering would only result in an excruciating agony that she would have to bear. Yet she did not forget her son and continued to love even when it would be painful. It was said among those of her hometown and her relatives that her son had lost his senses, that he was crazy. Yet she didn't forget her son and continued to love even when it was painful, was heard by her from the lips of her own son that those who belonged to God's spiritual family were closer to him than his own natural family, than even his own mother. Yet she resisted this rejection and didn't forget her son and continued to love even when it would be painful. It was she, among others, who stood by him to the very end, looking on from a distance as he was put to death under a cloud of shame and humiliation as a common criminal for a crime that he did not commit. Yet she did not forget her son and continued to love even when it was painful right to the very end. It was she among others who followed and watched her son's body as it was laid in a tomb. She did not forget her son and continued to love even when it was painful, even beyond the very end. She was Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
for many of you mothers, the sword that was to pierce Mary's own soul is not too unlike your own in its intensity, is it? You have known the agony of your own particular sword, whether it be the sword of rejection or injustice or some suffering experienced by one of your children. Maybe the sword of a child disinterested in spiritual things at the moment who doesn't yet know God. Maybe the sword of watching a a child destroy himself as a result of choices that he has had to have been allowed to make for himself. Maybe it's the sword of having your own needs go unmet as you attend to the needs of others. Be encouraged that as you bear your own sword and you remember others in the midst of such pain, that you are imitating Jesus who did that who loved others when ultimately the very act of loving meant giving up his own life. It would serve us well to imitate you mothers as you imitate Jesus. You know, in Time magazine a few years ago, there was an article entitled What Mother Nature Teaches Us About Motherhood. And it tells of this one particular type of Australian spider uh, who, after laying her eggs, uh, barely lives long enough to see her young mature. Um, So what she does is she positions herself among her young and then slowly liquefies, transforming herself into this edible pureed mush, I guess, that's going to give her children a a nutritional kickstart to life. Um, Now that's maternal self-sacrifice, isn't it? Um, You know, I wonder what it would mean for us mums, for all of us, not just mums, but all of us, this week if we were to make that decision to think of, to remember, to love someone else, even if it was going to be painful. It's probably not going to mean literal self-sacrifice, but it will mean sacrifice of our own convenience, of our comfort, won't it? It might cost you your pride as you choose to back down in a relationship and uh, and ask for forgiveness. It might cost you your time when you choose to help someone else, when you would rather be doing something else. It might cost you money as you choose to remember those less fortunate than you, which is the majority of people in the world. It might cost you some hurt as you continue to love someone who doesn't love you in return. It's probably not going to cost you what it cost that Australian spider or what it cost Jesus, but uh, you never know. Your one act of, or your one life of self-sacrifice just might bring the life and the love of Jesus to someone else. So why don't we determine this week that we're going to be more like Jesus in this manner. Jesus remembers us even when we think we're not worth remembering. Jesus remembers us even when we feel forgotten. And Jesus remembers us so that we will remember others. Amen.